Thank you so much for that. Um, it, it truly is an honor to be here. Mind if I pull this back just a bit? But uh, it, it, it's an honor to be here. I don't, I don't take it lightly. I'm excited that I get to be here, excited that I get to be here on this night for this event. I believe it's, it's not an accident. It's on purpose that, that God's orchestrating things the way he is tonight, and you get to be a part of it, and I get to be a part of it, and, and that's an honor. And r- real quick, I would be remiss if I, didn't, if I didn't honor your youth pastor, if you call this place home, Pastor Jeremy. I just want to real quickly say to you and, and about, about your wife, Kristen, but she, she's not here, I don't think, but I, uh, I respect you so much. And uh, I look up to you, and, and specifically, here's why. The, the, average, the average youth pastor stays at a church about nine months. That's about the average stint of a youth pastor. This youth pastor right here is going on seven years. You've been at this church as many years as most people stay months. And, and to me, it's impressive that, that he and his wife have, have, have stuck to this thing in the highs and the lows. And when family issues have come up and when other issues have, you've stuck to it. And it tells me something about you. It tells me something about your family. It tells me that your level of commitment is not determined by your level of comfort. It tells me that regardless of if you're comfortable or uncomfortable, you're committed to this group, to this church, to these students. And I want to say thank you and I honor you. Thank you so much uh, for leading in that. Yeah, give him a hand. Give him, give him a hand because that's... He deserves it. And if he's your youth pastor, tell him that you love him tonight because he's awesome and I love you. You're the man. And if this is your, your first time here and you don't call this church home and you don't have another church home, make this one your church home. As, as far as I understand it, this is a place where uh, students who come to this youth group are family. They just happen to be friends as well. They're a family made up of friends. So if you, if you don't have a youth group and you've come here tonight and you're enjoying yourself and you're enjoying the people and you're enjoying the presence of God, Make this your home youth group, and I don't think you'll be disappointed because this, this is a great place to come to. Let's get our Bibles out, and let's get started tonight. If you've got a Bible, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 tonight. Exodus chapter 14, if you've got a Bible. There is a Bible up on the screen. It'll come up there in just a few moments, but if you do have one, pull it out. Exodus chapter 14 tonight. And also real quick, I would like to uh, introduce my wife before we go any further. This is my wife, Lauren. Like Pastor Jeremy said, she is pregnant. We're about to have a baby. I love you so much. I'm glad you're mine. Praise God. You look good sitting on the front row. Hallelujah. I love you. But uh, a while back, <laughs> a while back, my, uh, my wife and I were on vacation and uh, sometimes on vacation, I like to pretend like I'm more confident than I actually am. Uh, I like to, I like to act out like outdoorsy. I like to pretend that I'm like an, an outdoorsman. Are there any people in the room who actually like the outdoors? You, you raise your hand high. I'm proud. Put it up there. If you enjoy the outdoors, awesome. This is good. I, I, don't, I don't dislike the outdoors, but my philosophy, it goes something like this. Why go camping when you can go shopping? Like, why go camping when you can go shopping? Another rule of thumb for me is why go sleep in the woods when you can sleep in a hotel with a view of the woods, okay? You don't need to be sleeping in, in the woods. Like I'm, that's just how I live my life. Now, I like the outdoors. I like scenery. I, it's not that I don't like it. I just, I wouldn't consider myself an outdoorsman. But sometimes I, I, try and, I try and make it seem like I am. And my wife and I were on vacation. We were in Hawaii. Turn to your neighbor and say Hawaii. We were in Hawaii. Most beautiful place I've ever been to. I've never seen anything like it. Hawaii is absolutely amazing. And, and one day we decided that we were going to go out on a hike. And we were going to hike a volcanic mountain. A volcanic mountain called Diamond Head. Turn to your neighbor and say Diamond Head. 
It's an actual volcano. It erupted a long time ago, but now it's just a mountain. And apparently at the top of this mountain, you get incredible views. Some of the most beautiful views you've ever seen. And so we decide that we're going to go hike up the top of this mountain and we're going to get to the viewing point, to the lookout spot, because we want a piece of this view. We want to say that we did it. And what's not cool about hiking up a volcano, okay? Like, even though I'm not super, I'm not an outdoorsman, I just said, we're going to do this. And she said, we're going to do this. We said, let's do this. And so we decide to go up this mountain. And on the way, we, uh, we came up against a, a little situation, See, because on the way up the mountain, we had to walk through a a tunnel that actually took you through the mountain. It was a tunnel that was about 75 yards long, but it was only about six feet tall and about five and a half feet wide. And it went through the mountain. And there were people going through this tunnel on the right, and there were people going through this tunnel on the left at the same time. And not all of these people wore deodorant. So some of them were just rank in, the, in, in that tunnel. It wasn't fun. But we start going through this tunnel, and we're a little over halfway. A little over halfway through the tunnel, and it's dark. There are literally no lights in the tunnel. It's pitch black dark. Okay, I'm not a huge fan of dark tunnels, but every now and then, if I'm going to be an outdoorsman, praise God, let's do it. But we're on our way through, about halfway through, and my wife is in front of me. I'm behind her. We're walking, and she just stops like this out of nowhere. She, she literally just she stops just like this. And I'm behind her. Like my hands on the top of the tunnel. I'm like, Lauren, Lauren, what are you doing? Like there's people behind us. There's people on this side of us. I'm like, Lauren, what are you doing? She says, I can't. I said, well, what do you mean? You can't like you, you can't, I can't, I, I just can't, I can't. I said, Lauren, like you really can't, or you just don't want to like, what's the deal? Why? What's wrong? She says, I can't. I can't breathe in here. I can't see in here. I got to get out of here. She turns around and faces me. We're face to face. And she's trying to get out of the tunnel. Like she's trying to bail on me and leave me all alone in the tunnel. At this moment, I said, oh, no, 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 no. We got all the way here. Like we're all the way here. We're in the tunnel in the middle of a mountain. We cannot go back now. We, we can't stop now. And there's people behind me. I'm getting embarrassed. Not that I'm easily embarrassed, but I'm getting embarrassed. Okay. People behind me, people on my lip. I said, no, no, no. And I all of a sudden just went into preacher mode. I said, girl, listen, if we're going to get to it, we got to go through it. Okay, girl, we got to go. Like we got some move. I started preaching quick. She hates when I start preaching to her when we're actually upset with each other. Cause that just doesn't work out well. But I said, we've got to go. We got to move and make a long story short. We ended up going and she was brave and she was awesome. And I was, I was actually freaked out too. I was just trying to be cool, trying to be an outdoorsman, you know, trying to be tough when I was in there, trying to be confident. But we end up going through this, this tunnel. We get to the top of the mountain and I kid you not, it is the most beautiful view I have ever seen in my entire life. You got Honolulu, like the downtown, the big city on the right. And then straight ahead, it literally looks like the end of the world. Like it's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Never seen anything like it. And while we're up at the top of the mountain, I started thinking about just how close we were to never reaching the top of the mountain. I started to realize just how close we were to turning around and and going back. But we decided together, you know what, we're here. We've come this far. I know we're in this tunnel. I know it smells like B.O. and it's hot as a mug in here like a sauna. I know all of these things, but we've got to keep going because we want to see what's at the top. And we had to remind ourselves, we've come all this way. We've got to keep going because we're going to see this thing. We're going to see it. We're going to see the view. We came here. We're going to see it. If you're taking notes tonight, which I I hope that you are, because you know you're going to forget this as soon as it's over, unless you write it down. The title of the message tonight is this. We're going to see it. 
We're going to see it. We're going to see it. Put that down in your phone or in a notebook. And, and the reason why I, I wanted to bring this word to you tonight and to, to share this passage and, and this story that we're about to jump into is because I know that the word that God has given Pastor Jeremy and the leadership here over this youth group is victory. The word that God has spoken to him, which he has in turn spoken over you, is victory. And I just think sometimes we need to be reminded that if it's something God said, it's something that we're going to see. Listen, if God is speaking into your life, and I believe he has been just over the past few weeks through Pastor Jeremy and the leadership, and I just believe that if God's been speaking over your life and he's been saying things, I believe there will come a moment where everything that God has said, you will see. And I don't see why that can't be this month or this year or this season. So tonight I'm just believing your faith is going to be stirred, your confidence is going to be built, and you're going to believe that everything God has said, you will see is anyone just full of confidence tonight believing that God's going to do what he said he's going to do and he's going to give this group victory this year come on God's good and we're going to see it I believe it can start tonight with some of us if you got a bible we're in Exodus chapter 14 and tonight we're going to start reading in the 15th verse Exodus chapter 14 verse 15 we're going to skip around a bit but we're going to start in verse 15 it says this Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Skipping now down to verse 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. Turn to your neighbor and say, a strong east wind. And he turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Skipping to verse 26. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army, I love this, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left, That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. If if, if you're a little bit confused by what was going on in in this scene, let me give you some background information. The Israelites were God's people. Those were his chosen people almost from the beginning of time. Those were God's people. That was God's nation. Those were his children. And 
For 400 years, they had been in slavery in Egypt. These Israelites that were God's people were slaves to Egypt. 400 years. And finally, it got to a point where God said, I have had enough. I've had enough of this. I've heard the cry of my people. If you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, you, you know. This is real. Classic movie. Classic cartoon church movie. So good. So if you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. It's so good. But God said, I've had enough. And so he called a man named Moses who was a shepherd tending sheep out on the backside of the desert. And he sent him into Egypt to go and get the Israelites out of Egypt. And God had to send ten plagues and all this crazy stuff happened in Egypt. But finally, the Egyptians let the Israelites go. They let them go free. And this is two and a half million people traveling across the desert towards Canaan, the promised land. And while they were on their way... They came up against an obstacle that they could not get around. See, they came up against a sea of water. And they had two and a half million people trying to get across this water. Well, at the same time that they got to the sea of water, they were being chased down now by a sea of Egyptians. Because the Egyptians had changed their mind. They said, no, 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 what have we done? We got to go get these Israelites and bring them back or kill them there. But they're not going free. And so the Egyptians were coming behind them and the water was in front of them and the people of Israel freaked out. Turn to your neighbor and say they freaked out. They were freaking out. They were complaining. They were saying we're going to die. We may as well have died in Egypt because we know we're going to die right here. This is it. This is the end. This is over. They were up against a problem. They had water on this side. They had their enemy on that side. It looked as if it was about to be over. And I love what God says to Moses. He said, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And I love this because we see such a great piece of God's character. See, because God shows up for Israel in the midst of their problem, and he decides that he's actually going to bring purpose out of their problem. He said, I know right now that you're in the middle of an issue. I know that there's a problem. you got a sea of water and a sea of people, but I'm actually going to give purpose and bring purpose out of your problem right now. See, God actually used the very thing that looked as if it would take them out and said, I'm going to use it to take them on to where they're called. Anybody in here like, like baseball? Like you don't have to love it, but you just kind of like it. Anybody like baseball when the Royals are winning, though? Like You don't even like baseball at all, but when they're winning, hey, I'll wear the gear, right? I'll never forget watching the World Series. I know Pastor Kevin mentioned it last night, and the World Series was amazing. It was life-changing, okay? It was from the Lord. Praise God that we won the World Series, okay, in case you forgot. I'm proud still. But I'll never forget watching the World Series, and it was game one of the World Series. When I told myself, oh, it's over. We have no chance. It's over. It's bottom of the ninth. We're down by one run. Bottom of the ninth. We're down by one. It's our last chance. And we're playing this team called the Mets. And the Mets, they, they bring in their closing pitcher in the bottom of the ninth when we're down by one run. His name was Jairis Familia. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jairis Familia. They bring in Jairis Familia. Now, let me explain this. This dude's a closing pitcher. He makes millions of dollars throwing a baseball, and he only has to throw like 15 pitches a night. He can throw so good that no one can really hit the ball. He's a closer. He's one of the best in the game. $4 million a year to throw 15 baseballs in a day. That's what he does. And I'll never forget when he was walking to the mound, being there in my parents' living room saying, this is over. This game is over. We have no chance. We're down by one. They're bringing in the closer. 
But if you know how the game went, that's not how it went at all because Alex Gordon came up to the plate and Jairis Familia, the closer, the one who was supposed to take us out, he threw the perfect pitch that Alex Gordon hit out of the park to tie the game. We went on to win the game in extra innings. It was amazing, changed the momentum of the series. And I believe that because of that one moment, the whole series ended up being different. See, because the very one that was supposed to take us out actually ended up helping to take us on. And I know it's a ridiculous illustration, but I believe your spiritual life is so much more like that than you realize because the things that you face, the situations you're walking through, the enemy trying to come against you, he wants to take you out. But God says, I'm going to use what he thinks will take you out and I'm going to use it to take you on. See, God can take you places that you don't even think that you can go because God makes a way out of no way. When it seems like you're finished, God says, I'm just getting started with you. See, because when your problem comes face to face with God's purpose, he propels you forward. Is anybody excited tonight? about the fact that God can turn a situation around. He doesn't even release the problems, but he can redeem the problems when the enemy does. That is the God that we're serving. He says, I'm going to move you all on. So Moses, people are about to move on, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to grab your shepherd's staff and hold it out in front of you over the water. He said, grab your shepherd's staff. Lead these two and a half million people with your shepherd's staff. Lead these two and a half million people with something that you used to smack sheep with. And I just love this because it it says so much about God and about our relationship with him. See, because God asked Moses to lead the people with a shepherd's staff. It's interesting. The shepherd's staff is something that Moses received in solitude. Yet God said, I want you to use it to lead the multitude. He said, Moses, this thing that was anointed in private, I want you to use it to start leading in public. This thing that you've had since you were on the backside of the desert and no one, no one cared about you. Yeah, yeah, that thing, the thing you received in private, that's what you're going to use to lead these people in public. I just think that we overestimate what we could do for God if we had popularity and we underestimate what God wants to do in us in obscurity. When no one knows who we are, when we don't have a lot of followers, when, we, when we're not super popular, when it's not all glitz and glam and people don't always want to be with us. I believe that the outpouring happens in private. It's the overflow that happens in public. Listen, if revival's going to start in a people, it's going to start with a person. And in order for it to start with a person, we've got to get alone with the person of God so that he can speak to us and anoint us and fill us up. I'm believing that tonight you can start a new journey in your life, a journey that says, God, I'll get alone with you and I'll receive from you in private so I can be a leader in public when I walk into my school. Come on, does anyone in this room want to lead the people you walk with and want to lead them to Jesus and share life with them? Because I just think we've got success all wrong, myself included. See, success when you're following God, when you're following Jesus, it's not about how many followers you have. It's about what kind of follower you are. God had to, had to speak that to me and say, stop worrying if someone followed you or liked your picture. I liked you from day one. That's why I created you. Why can't that be good enough? Walk in what I've told you to walk in, and I'll give you what I want to give you. Faithfulness and is so much more important than having followers. And so he tells them, hold out your staff, Moses. This thing that you received in private, when no one cared, you're going to lead with it in public. He holds out his, his staff. And the Bible says that a strong east wind came through. 
a strong east wind. Turn to your neighbor and say, strong east wind. And we're going to play a little game. I'm going to say it was a strong east wind. I'm going to say the wind was so strong, and you're going to say, how strong was it? Because it was a strong wind. I mean, it blew a body of water. I mean, it was strong. This wind was so strong that it blew one body of water into two. The wind was so strong that it held that body of water into the shape of a wall twice, one on either side. The wind was so strong that it actually evaporated all of the liquid that was on the ground so that they could walk through on dry ground. Now, I want you to understand this, this wind was so strong. I want you just to imagine this. It was strong enough. It was strong enough to move an entire body of water. Yet here's what's cool. It didn't blow anybody over. I want you to think about this. There are two and a half million people walking through the desert. Young, old, big, tall, small, everything in between and everything that any of them own walking through the desert. But God said, you know what? I'm going to be powerful in this moment, but I'm also going to be purposeful. See, your God is not just about power. He's also about purpose. See, he had enough power to push the water back, yet he had enough purpose to hold the people up. I don't know. I don't know what you're dealing with this week, what you've been dealing with this month, but I believe someone in this room has been dealing with this thought. There's no reason why I'm here. God, you didn't create me for a purpose. This is on accident. What's the point? Why should I go on? Let me remind you tonight that God created you with a purpose. He's not just powerful. He's also purposeful. Ephesians 2.10 said that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. It's not an accident that you're here. God wanted you here at this time in this season so you could do his work. Can someone give God praise tonight for the fact that it's no accident that He's a powerful God, but he's a purposeful God. He's got a purpose for your life. That's the God of the word. That's the Jesus that we're following. He was powerful, but he was also purposeful. And then it says that the Israelites, they they walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. I love this because I can't help but read this and not think of what happened 40 years later. In Joshua chapter 6, see, 40 years later in Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites were heading into the land of Canaan and God actually destroyed a wall for them. But here he constructed a wall for them. Isn't it crazy how God will give us what we need when we need it? That's the God that we're serving. He knows what we need before we even ask. And when we ask, he's so gracious and patient with us. He provides exactly what we need when we need it. I don't know who in here has been struggling with something that has had a hold on you or an addiction or something that has just been, it's been held on you like a chain. I just want to, I want to give you some confidence tonight and say this. When you need something broken, God will break it. When you need something built, God will build it. If you need a wall built, he'll build it. If you need a wall broken, he will break it. That's the God we serve. He gives you what you need when you need it. Why? He's an all the time, every time, on time God. He never fails, never walks away, never leaves you, never abandons you. Every time. He always comes through. So the Israelites, they walk through on dry ground. And and they they get to the other side. And I can just imagine this this scene happening, this scene playing out. The Israelites, two and a half million. They're they're running through, walking through. They're pushing. I mean, they've got to be getting stressed at this point because uh, the Egyptians are gaining on them. 
The Bible says just as they get to the other side, and I can imagine some of the slower ones still trying to like scramble up the side of the rocks. Just as they get to the other side, they essentially they turn around and they see all of the Egyptians being swept into the sea. And the Egyptians they saw that day, according to the word of God, they never saw again. God took care of their enemy, gave them victory. It's crazy. It was a victory that God had already promised them. All they had to do was walk in it. They're standing on the shore and they look back and they see all of these Egyptians washed away into the sea. These people who had been holding them down for so long, these people who had been abusing them for so long and chasing them for so long and demanding so much from them for so long, boom, washed into the sea over. And it's crazy because on this side of the shore, they were confident. The Bible says that they, they feared the Lord and put their trust in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They were confident on this side of the shore, but they were terrified on that side of the shore. And in the place where they were confident, they could look back and see the place where they were terrified. It was just across the water. On this side of the shore, it was confidence. On the other side of the shore, they thought they were going to die. They thought it was over. See, that day, when they were getting pinned in by the Israelites in the water, they honestly believed that they were about to tend their own funeral. Literally, like they thought this is it. Somebody start building tombstones because this is it. Like we're done. They literally thought they were standing there about to attend their own funeral. But God said, no, no, no. You're actually going to attend your miracle. Just watch and walk. And I can't help but read this and and be reminded of of a story in, in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, this is, this is after Jesus had, had gone to the cross. So if you don't know the story of Jesus, Jesus was, is the Son of God. He was sent to be the, the sacrifice for the sins of every single person. It's crazy. He knew all the things that we would ever do and still chose to do the one thing for us that would take the punishment away. And so Jesus, he had been beaten beyond recognition. He had a crown of thorns put on his head carried his own cross to a hill called Golgotha and had to be crucified on a cross for our sins and then Jesus was taken down and he was put inside of a tomb and a few days later a woman came looking to put some spices around the tomb of Jesus it was a woman named Mary She came to the tomb looking to put some spices around the the gravesite of Jesus. Making sure that he was taken care of. And making sure that even though he didn't have any honor going into the grave, that we would honor him while he's in there. She was just going to essentially attend maybe a one or two or three person funeral. I mean, there wasn't a huge crowd of people. There's just a, a few people. And she goes to this grave and when she gets there the stone that was supposed to be rolled over the entrance had actually been rolled away from the entrance. And she goes and looks inside this tomb and the Bible says that there's two angels sitting inside the tomb and she starts to freak out because where she was expecting to see Jesus, there were these two men in there. And she freaks out and the Bible says that she actually starts to weep and she starts to cry. And she freaks out and they say, woman, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? And she says, sir, they, they've, they've taken Jesus. Somebody has come in here and robbed this grave 
of the body of Jesus. Someone came in here and took Jesus. He's not, he's, he's supposed to be here and he's not here. Someone, someone came and took him and she's sobbing and she's crying and, and as she's standing there crying, she turns around and, and looks up and this is crazy. She actually sees Jesus standing in front of her. She sees him. She's face to face with the savior of the world, with Jesus himself. And the Bible says she doesn't even recognize him. She didn't even know it was him. And so she's, she's standing there. She's still sobbing. And he says, woman, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she gives the story and says, well, they've taken Jesus. Don't you understand? They've taken the body of Jesus. Someone came in here and robbed the tomb of Jesus. And it's just not okay. I came to show him honor only to find out that he's been stolen. Like this, this is not okay. See, Mary had no idea who Jesus was. She actually thought he was the gardener. She actually thought that he was the groundskeeper of this tomb. He wasn't the groundskeeper. He was the keeper of the keys of death, hell, and the grave, according to Revelation 1 in the 18th verse. And she had no idea. She had no idea. No clue. Didn't recognize him. And then Jesus says, Mary. And he calls her by name. He says her name. He says, Mary. And when Jesus said Mary, when Jesus said her name, she looked up and she, she saw Jesus. But instead of seeing the gardener, or the groundskeeper that she just saw, she realized this is my savior. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in an instant, she realized that Jesus is actually who he said that he would be. See, the grave had not been robbed of Jesus. The grave was actually robbed by Jesus. And in a moment, in an instant, she realized you are who you said that you would be. You did what you said that you would do. All the greatness doesn't even describe. You are the first the last, the one that will not pass away, the beginning and the end. In a moment, she realizes Jesus is everything that everyone said he was and a bag of chips as long as it was good. He was the real deal. Everything Jesus had said, she was now seeing. This is Jesus, the Savior of the world. He's real. And I just want to remind you tonight as we close out, because we're about done. That everything that's ever been said by God, and it's going to be seen by man. God doesn't break promises. He always comes through. He is the most clutch there's ever been. The creator of the, of the world. See, God, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said he was going to send plagues, and he sent plagues. God said that the Israelites were going to be okay and the Israelites were okay. God said that the giant was going to fall and the giant fell. God said that a virgin was going to conceive of a baby boy and his name was going to be Jesus. Uh, The virgin conceived of a baby boy and his name was Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, the mute, they're going to talk. The the deaf, they're going to hear. The lame, they're they're going to walk. The dead, they're going to rise. The people who are sick in body are going to be healed. The possessed are going to be freed. The addicted, man, they're going to be set free. And Jesus also said, he said, I'm going to go to the cross. And he went to the cross. And then Jesus said, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the grave. And Jesus went to the grave. But Jesus also said, I'm not just going to go to the cross and go to the grave. 
But after I go to the cross and go to the grave, I'm actually going to walk up out of that grave after three days. And here in this moment, in this instant, she realized everything that he had ever said. She now saw in the flesh Jesus living victorious. And I just want I just want you to know tonight that the same God who stood outside of that tomb as being resurrected, he's still alive. He's still working. He's still powerful. He's still purposeful. And I'm believing that God's got a plan of victory for your life over this year. Can we give our God some praise? Can we stand to our feet all across the room? Stand to your feet. Listen, let God know that you appreciate him. Give God a little bit of praise for the fact that he's never changing. He's always the same from day one, the beginning and the end. He's the same. He's unchanging. He's the savior of the world. And he actually created it too. If I could have every head bowed, every eye closed in this place.